America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Veris SAGE Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about for good and evil in celebration of Tax Day. So happy Tax Day, Ed. Uh, yeah, I'm thrilled. <laughs> I know there's mu- there's nothing more depressing than uh, not only tax day but also paying your quarterly estimated taxes too, which is no fun. <laughs> yeah, I got the worst of bo- both worlds on that. I'm I'm gainfully employed and you know have withholding tax, but then also my wife Christine owns a small business, so we have to deal with the quarterly stuff as well. So always fun. right, yeah, uh, and that that ruins my quarter every time I have to pay that, but. Uh, you know, uh, folks, and uh, celebrate this day. We want to talk really more about the history of taxation, and in celebration of really a book that I just think is one of the greatest books written on this topic. Because I know at face value, this topic seems a little bit dull, but actually, taxation has altered the courses of civilization throughout history. And take a listen to this. There have been great and powerful men who have moved civilization, but most of the time no heroes can be found, and the world is led by scoundrels, fools, and second stringers. Taxes, however, are ever-present, often making a strong impact upon our lives for good and evil. The prosperity as well as the decline of nations has always had a tax factor, and this we will see time and again throughout history. And that comes from the historian and tax lawyer, Charles Adams in his book for good and evil Ed, probably one of the best books I've ever read on taxation. Yeah. I I think your comment that I've read was if you're going to read two books on the history of taxation, read this one twice. Is that right? That's right. Uh, And, and uh, he, he updated it, Charles Adams. And I'm not sure if he's still alive. Uh, He may have left us, but uh, he was an international tax lawyer. He lived in Canada And he was for a while a fellow at Cato Institute. Uh, But this book is just absolutely uh, fascinating because it just goes all the way back throughout history and documents how taxes have literally altered civilization. And his general premise in the book is over time, all, all tax systems tend to go bad. And he thinks we need to revisit them and revamp them from time to time in order for that to not happen. Uh, but some of the things that he points out just from a historical perspective are just 
Absolutely. Just, just fascinating. Well, before we get into that, Ron, I've got a question for you. Maybe this, because uh, I've only started the book on your recommendation. Uh, didn't get through, I've only got through the first chapter, so this, we're going to be relying a lot on your knowledge and insight here today. So I'll, I'll be asking a lot, a lot of questions of you. And, and one is, does it discuss the, the morality of this at all? Is like, by what moral justification is it to say that we can vote ourselves or Im- impose, uh, to take from someone else for no return, because that's the definition of taxation. Even the U.S. Treasury says that, right? That there's no, it, it's, a, it's a payment for which there is no defined return benefit. That, that's right. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, the morality is very fascinating. I mean, that, that's a whole philosophical discussion, right? Because I know libertarians think that taxation is, is uh, what do they call it? Forced. Theft. Uh, yeah, theft. <laughs> And, you know, to some extent, that's true. I I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, And then the question becomes, well, how much taxation? And we all realize, you know, we need a government for some functions, and that has to be done by by raising taxes somehow or some form of revenue, uh, should that be use fees or whatever. Usually when you talk about tax reform, it kind of breaks down into two different views. There's the idealist view, which kind of views – uh, you know, talks about the ideology of tax policy, including, you know, taxation as theft. So take into account all of that. Uh, there's also the political view, which is looking at special interests and influential committee chairman and political advantage and all of that. So uh, those are usually the two views that you, this is discussed under. Yeah. And I, it, I just come down on the side of by what moral code is it Right, that even in a democracy, I can vote to have someone else's money be used for a particular purpose. I mean, I, I, this is an interesting. I live in the probably the reddest county of the reddest state. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. So you know, it doesn't doesn't get any more red than Collin County, Texas. All right. The, the 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 I think the straight party vote on the Republican ticket in the last election was over seventy percent. Right, mm. so it's just just people. Seventy percent of the voters walk in, hit the Republican button, and walk out. That's it. Right. right? Yet, from my house, not. I mean, I can. It's so close that I can hear the band they're playing on when they're when there are games. Is a football stadium built by the taxpayers of this fine town of Allen, Texas, to the tune of fifty nine million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> for a high school football stadium, it wow. seats 17,000 people. By the way, the Allen High School Band, which is the largest marching band in the world, has 750 members wow. of the band. Okay, wow. <laughs> And, right, and now, is that stadium paid for from, from bonds? Or bonds. Was it, it, bonds. Uh, so it wasn't tacked on to your... Uh, no, not property Real taxes, but, but it, it was, it, it's still by bonds, so the taxes in advance. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> right. You know, e- either way. But, yeah. And, and how, how is it justified? Now, I love football much as, as much as the next guy, right? But there is, there is no way that you can tell me that, it's, that it is right in any way that I can vote for every man, woman, and child in the city of Allen, Texas, a $3,500 debt. Yep. I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't see it. And there, there are people who get really mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I would never be even be elected dog catcher in this town. Really <laughs> mad at me for saying this, but it's true. 
Sure, sure. Uh, you know, if you look at the uh, what did Oliver Wendell Holmes say, taxes are what we pay for a civilized society. In fact, that's inscribed over the IRS building in Washington, D.C., and uh, you, you can make several arguments whether or not the IRS is a milestone on the road to civilization. But it, it's also true that when Wendell Holmes wrote that, taxes were around 1% or 10%, right? Right, and, from a revenue as, perspective, yeah. yeah. Yeah, taxes have increased while you know, civility has decreased, so maybe we're entitled to a refund if, if taxes are what we are <laughs> we to pay for a civilized society. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a great question, and I, I, you know, I don't have answers. I mean, I, I taught a course on this, as you know, for many years for the uh, different CPA education foundations and kind of explored the alternatives to the federal income tax, which I think is a, a pretty exciting topic, the prospect of reforming the tax system. And, of course, you know, we could talk about a value-added tax or a national sales tax or a flat tax or a consumption tax. Right, all these right. different things. They all have their pros and cons, but I, 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 you know, and we can certainly talk about that today. But I'd also like to talk a little bit about the history, just of taxation in general, and how we've evolved to where we are. No, absolutely. And I just, just for the for the record, we're you know ten minutes into the show right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna back down off the cliff here, and and we're 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 just gonna have to go with the pre- premise that some taxes are justified. So therefore, what is the least bad? I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying that that's going to have to be the conversation. Otherwise, I'm just going to sit here and rant for an hour. So, so that's <laughs> yeah. Then we, well, we, but that could be a very interesting show at some point to have a philosophical philosophical topic about the you know taxes uh, because they are in in some ways theft and and of course you know government I guess is is force right right no right. matter what so if they put you in jail or hold you or whatever they and at some point you have to use force to enforce all laws you know they have it has to be backed up by force right. and we grant that power to the government but uh, you know the question is 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 the tax system that we have now is it excessive and um, right well take us back to the beginning Ron what what's what's this history of taxation that you want to talk about what's the the opening salvo in the in, in this history of taxation conversation well and, and again this is all uh, based on Charles Adams' book, which folks we really do highly recommend, it's for good and evil, and, it, and it's is literally a page turner. But here's basically the premise of the book: taxpayers from the beginning of time have reacted to oppressive taxation in three ways: rampant tax evasion and flight to avoid tax, riots, and then violence. And you can mm-hmm. see this through you know the whiskey rebellion and all these different tax rebellions that we've had. In fact, you know the joke is the third grade. History teacher is asking her students, so what caused the American Revolution? And a little girl raises her hand and says, taxation. And a little guy in the back says, well, then why do the history books say we won? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I was just in England, and one thing I reminded them is um, we've learned as Americans that taxation with representation is a heck of a lot more expensive than taxation without <laughs> representation. <laughs> and Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what you know what one of the things that that Adams points out is is the revolution was probably fought more over the way the taxes were administered rather than the level of taxation itself because that was only you know it was very small especially relative to today Oh yeah, there was a, there was a meme you know, around this time that, that you'll see it on Facebook. With I think it's a picture of George Washington or something that says you know fought fought a revolution for 
um, I, don't, I forget what it was, 3% tax rate, uh, f- becomes president, p- puts a 10% tax on whiskey or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the other thing that Adams points out is the first ca- first casualty of dumb taxation has always been liberty. And the second mm-hmm. has, has always been the wealth and strength of a nation. And he thinks one of the causes of the fall of the Roman Empire was, was tax evasion. But he also points out all these other really interesting historical uh, implications of tax. Like he says, the origins of Hanukkah are rooted in the tax struggles of the ancient Hebrews. So he talks about that in his book. And he talks about how plain geometry was not invented by Euclid, but rather by ancient tax collectors determining land size for harvest taxes. Well, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, I think we've already talked about this on one show, but in 1816, the Britons put a tax on newspapers called the Knowledge Tax, Mm -hmm. and it was designed to curb the opposition press at the time. So, of course, you know, one way to avoid that tax was to, uh, because it was levied by the page, was to make the pages bigger. Mm -hmm. And hence, that's why we have newspapers uh, the size that we have to this day. It was a tax avoidance scheme. They want um, to do their fair share, Ron. That, that's, <laughs> the other thing, Ed, is, you know, in the whole debate, I'm sure you've read a lot about this, uh, but, the, you know, was the Civil War fought over slavery or was it because of more of northern tax policy? Uh, and Charles Adams certainly comes down on the side that the Civil War was fought, fought more over uh, tax policy than it was over slavery. Yeah, he, don't yeah, that don't get people started on that. That's that you can't win that debate unfortunately. People yeah. are way too emotional about it. I, I know, you know, they say t- history is uh, or hindsight's 2020 and I think yeah, until you start talking to historians and realize yeah. how much they disagree even about, you know, history that's supposedly been settled. Right. <laughs> But And the other thing is that he points out is as far back as 1787, no citizen of the United States could vote unless they were a taxpayer. Right, and which and was I, changed by the Constitution, yeah. Right. So, and, and I've heard people, you know, to this day talk about they'd like to bring that policy back that in order to be able to vote, uh, you should be a taxpayer. I actually prefer another reform instead. I think we should be able to give up the right to vote. If we don't pay taxes, uh, that could work. I, th- I think that totally could work. You know, just make it make it the other way. So, <laughs> well, folks, we need to take our first break here, but uh, we'd like to remind you that you can follow the show at verisage dot com slash tsoe, and we'll post show notes and we'll put up some interesting things about today's topic, including, of course, links to all Char- Charles Adams' book. And he's also got a, a very interesting uh, C-SPAN interview with Brian Lamb. A pretty in-depth interview, too. I think it's about an hour and a half, and it's absolutely fascinating. And remind you also that you can follow the show live on Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE. And check out our new Facebook ad at uh, Facebook page on Facebook.com slash AskTSOE. And now we'd like to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? 
If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Liberty to us is an inheritance, not something we earned or achieved on our own. We take liberty lightly, and we don't seem to realize how hard it is to get it back once it's lost. This is one of my favorite quotes from the book, Ron. Fantastic, fantastic quote from Charles Adams. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, he says uh, with respect to tax policy, uh, the Enlightenment period, you know, that period between 1650 and 1700 was the high watermark for tax wisdom, ethics, jurisprudence, and plain common sense. I mean, the Enlightenment thinkers – they knew their history. They searched the world's, you know, governmental systems, and, and they kind of had a feeling for what worked and what didn't, and they tried to uh, synthesize the best of the ideas. And the Enlightenment thinkers did leave us an enormous legacy that uh, Adams calls the priceless legacy, and he believes that, you know, the current generation, they just haven't read the minutes of the last generation. You know, we've lost this history. And one of the reasons he wrote the book was to was to put this history back front and center. Well, it's almost worse than that, though, because I have had conversations with people about this topic, and and it, the the current thinking on it is to to even dismiss all of that history as the rantings of of old white guys who are you know died three four hundred years ago, yeah. and it, it's because it, it's it's a, it's an outright hostility towards the concept, right? You can't run a country based on what happened in seventeen seventy six, right? We are a modern nation, etc. So it's 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 worse than that because it completely dismisses it as, and you're you're a raving lunatic if you bring it up, you know, and to think that. We could we could run and run a country based on some basic tenets and principles that came out of that time. People just say, "Well, you're you're just foolish for even thinking that that's possible." Right? No, that's so true. And 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 then you get into the whole thing about 
well, you're not paying your fair share. And, and so the debate around taxes today is about fair share, government revenue. Is it going to be neutral or is it going to go up or down? I mean, we're not even taught, we're not, we don't go back to the basics. We don't go back to the essential questions, you know, those all important why questions that, you know, mm-hmm. we talked about even on the Peter Block show. <laughs> right, right, right. We're, we're just, we're just answering the how questions, the mechanical questions. Well, what's the tax form look like? And how do you, you know, how's the IRS going to regulate this? and all of that and all of this other wisdom has just been absolutely lost no and again it's rejecting the outright notion of what what's happened in the past because as soon as you say well the purpose of government is to protect our rights people go jump in no well that that might have been true way back then but now we have these major corporations and their monopolies and and i well okay what allows that to happen government sanction you know (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah i don't know about you but steve jobs never pointed a gun to my head and forced me to buy an apple computer nope no, nope, not the last I checked. I mean, and, and this and this is the first of the legacies, right? That government at best is a necessary evil, straight out of Thomas Paine's common sense. And I, I think you know he had it right. In fact, I have I can't tell you the number of times that I've posted. I think it's the second paragraph from Common Sense uh, to, to to people on Facebook is like, okay, read this. I mean, just read this, you know. And that's where that's where I get my the the hostility back from. Well, you know, you're going to post uh, the the rantings of a of a a dead guy from 300 years ago. So, right, right. Yeah, and, and, but it's certainly true. Government, even at its best, is, is a necessary evil. And you saw the same type of thinking in, throughout the Federalist Papers as well. And better in through the Anti-Federalist Papers. Right, right. I mean, if, if men were angels, uh, you know, we wouldn't need government. But uh, mm-hmm. it's also true that, you know, who, who's going to run the government is going to be men. <laughs> right. And who's going to check them. So, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's kind of one of the first um, – first priceless legacies that that adams laid at lays out and he lays out 10 of them folks and we'll try and go through we'll try and go through all of them because they are they are they are core principles i mean they're just uh there's so much common sense here but there's so much wisdom based on real human history you know real empirical evidence and his second uh second principle of the legacy was the imaginary wants of the state and uh, you know this is this is one of my favorite sections because he talks about uh, Baron de Montesquieu in the Spirit of the Laws, which is is a great book if you have any interest at all in in laws and how how Montesquieu you know influence he had on our framers of the Constitution. But he said the revenues of the state are a portion of that each subject gives of his property in order to secure or to have the agreeable enjoyment of the remainder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in other words, you know, we're funding the government to protect our rights mm-hmm. of, of, of all of our other property. Mm-hmm. And, and he thought that that was a really important uh, aspect of it. Right. And that anything above and beyond that is the imaginary wants, right? Yes. Right. The, yeah. Any, any tax above that would just, you know, would pay for the Kings or whoever is running the government for their, you know, frivolities or their indulgences or gratification or aggrandizement or whatever. And yep. <laughs> boy, it's a really good point. 
<laughs> uh, no, it is. I, I, you know, personally think that one of the best things that we could do would be to to eliminate air conditioning from the Congress with with the halls of yes. Congress. That that would, because you have to remember that when 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 it was built, there was no air conditioning, and the the place became malarial around July. Right? Absolutely, and people cleared <laughs> so, it out. They get the heck out of there, exactly. So the the fact that they have now air conditioning and sit there in their their, their comfort is is a problem. And I I do think that that our our framers not visioning the air conditioning put 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 the capital in a swamp for a reason right <laughs> and that isn't the texas legislature part-time yep yep uh, they're in session right now so you got to watch your wallet at this point right, right. but uh <laughs> yeah but fortunately you know they can only do it do the damage 128 days or whatever it is out of out of a two-year cycle so right right <laughs> Well, you know, it was Montesquieu, I think, who said that, uh, you know, government exists to protect our rights. Right. Uh, you know, not to redistribute wealth and make things fair and, and all of that, but to actually protect our, our natural rights. So, um, but that's, that's kind of what he was saying in the imaginary wants of the state as well. Yeah. And, the, and the third principle is government should stay out of business. And, and this is really interesting. This comes out of uh, Adam Smith, you know, that uh, princes have frequently engaged in many other mercantile projects and have been willing like private persons to mend their fortunes by becoming adventurers in the common branches of trade. And, you know, it makes me think of the post office or, you know, investing in Solyndra. I mean, the the government uh, probably should stay out of business. (laughs) Yeah, both ways. I mean, and I, you know, even, even Ayn Rand said, look, government taking from businesses is, is bad, but government get providing to business is horrible too. Uh, the, the the whole provision of uh, picking winners and losers in in the marketplace is a is a nightmare because you know that means hey everybody's got to have blue ties if that's what the government wants. Yep, yep. Um, so that was you know that was another tenant that they had, and the fourth one was that liberty carries the seeds of its own destruction. And again, this is Montesquieu. He noted that people living in a state of liberty tend to let their guard down and tolerate great taxes, but once granted, they discover they cannot take a backward step. And he actually said liberty produces excessive taxes. The effect of excessive taxes is slavery. And that's a really interesting point, kind of goes along with the the philosophy that taxes are theft. I mean, if you have a tax rate over 50%, are you half slave? Well, you know, yeah, I think that's that's a very much a possibility. You know, the other thing is to look at it differently is at, at what point in when this when the spending of government goes over X, do we become slaves? Because it's about future state as well. You know, my, my view is that the. The, the big difference among Democrats and Republicans is that, you know, Republicans want want to want to fund their spending with with uh, uh, bond issues and 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 um, printing money for the future, you know, taking loans against it. Whereas the, the the Democrats want to fund it with taxation. And honestly, of the two, I'd rather take the taxation. At least it's in the moment. At least it it makes sense that way. I'd I'd rather just decrease spending. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have reduced spending all the way around, but exactly uh, right, right. We could talk about that too, but uh, you, you know, I do find it interesting, Ed, that this this comment, though, if you just think about it on its face, that liberty carries the seed of its own destruction. That's kind of a scary thought. It means you know we're not going to be invaded by a foreign invader or crushed by a foreign enemy that that we're going to commit suicide. 
Well, but, it, but it, it's the natural course of things. I mean, I'm pretty sure Jefferson, does a, and I can't remember the exact quote, but he really believed that the Constitution was only going to be around for, I don't know, you know two, 20 or 30, 40 years maybe before mm-hmm. it would be redone, that it would have to be. And, you know, there's the famous quote about him, the tree, the tree of liberty. Right, um, it is it, in it has to be watered from time to time by the blood of patriots and tyrants. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And, and I think what he's talking about there is is this fact that you know it, it's it's sort of built in, right, to the to the system that one, when you get when you do have a free people that they then once once they they view the fact that they can they can vote themselves from the public largesse that people are going to do it. So yep. it's only a matter of time. When people can learn that they can live off the expense of others, then <laughs> yep, exactly. that's when things start to slide downhill fast. Yes. Well, we, there's, a, there's six more of these, and we're going to take you through all of them. We should be able to get them in the next segment, but right now we're up against a break, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, as you know, you can get a hold of us at tsoe at verisage.com if you want to send us an email. Or, of course, during the show, you can hashtag AskTSOE. For on Twitter, and we do follow the show during uh, doing do, we do follow that hashtag during the show. So please uh, do send us those tweets. But uh, right now, we want to hear from our sponsor and a good friend of mine from Chicago, uh, Peter Peter Wolf at Azamba, who does some great things around uh, CRM software. So if you're interested in in CRM software and what it can do for your business, give our friends at Azamba a call. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V E R A S A G E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here talking about for good and evil and celebration of tax day coming up on April 15th. 
But I'd like to remind you that you can contact Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. And we have been getting your emails, and we always enjoy reading them and hearing your feedback on the show. And folks, we'd also like to remind you, if you could, we know a lot of you listen on demand, and it really helps the show in a lot of different ways. If you could write a customer review for us on iTunes, a few of you have, and we really appreciate that. And we'd really like it if uh, more of you would do that for us. That would be great. Um, But Ed, we've been talking about this priceless legacy uh, that Adams uh, kind of lays out in one of his chapters in the book from the Enlightenment thinkers. And number five is that direct taxes are the badge of slavery and indirect taxes are the badge of liberty. All right, now, so explain, think, explain, explain, <laughs> explain direct versus indirect taxes. Right, I know. This is a fascinating distinction that you can see throughout history. But Mon- again, Montesquieu said that capitation, as it was called, which meant a direct tax on the individual, such as an income tax, is more natural to slavery. He thought a duty on merchandise is more natural to liberty because it has not so direct a relation to a person. Mm. So it's really interesting because, you know, prior to 1894, our federal government raised most of its revenue from tariffs, right, on, on foreign products. And it, even though Abraham Lincoln introduced an income tax in 1862 to pay for the Civil War, that law was actually repealed uh, in 1872, two years after it was statutorily set to expire. It's one of the few income taxes throughout the history of the world that's actually been repealed in an advanced country. <laughs> well, and it was it was about to go, I think, before the Supreme Court where they thought they would clearly be ruled unconstitutional too, and that was one of the reasons why they just repealed it, I think. Well, it, 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 well after – well, he, it, it, it was statutorily set to, to expire, but they kept mm. it going for a couple more years past that, but they did pull it. But then ever since it was pulled, there were members of Congress who wanted to bring it back, and it did come back um, – I forget the exact year, but but it was ruled unconstitutional when it came back in 1894. Right. The the Supreme Court struck it down, and it wasn't until, of course, that the 16th Amendment passed that it was brought back in 1913 or whenever that was. But this this idea of an indirect versus a direct tax, a distinction between a tax on a person like your income versus a tax on a product that you buy. Uh, it's an interesting distinction, but I think it's a distinction mostly without a difference because at the end of the day, I don't care what you call it, all taxes are income taxes because income is, is your control over resources. So even if you're living off of an inheritance, say, you've never worked a day in your life, but somebody else worked to get the inheritance, so all taxes ultimately are income taxes at the end of the day. So I don't draw this big distinction between direct tax and indirect tax as they I, did in the past. I do, I do, because I think I, I think that there's a the, there's a morality here, and I you know, look, I get what you're saying. Ultimately, the the taxation's got to come from somewhere, and theoretically, the income gets produced, and then then therefore it must be coming from income. But but I do think that there's a moral component here that just makes it somehow a little bit more acceptable that. 
we would have a, a tax on merchandise. So a national sales tax would, be, in my mind, uh, would be better than one where it's that, than an income tax. Now, let me just a couple caveats on this. Number one, I would I would never want to see a national sales tax that was put into practice without first repealing the income tax. Right. So. Yes, I would, I would nev- never because that, that that's just too tempting. Then 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 they got the best of both worlds and forget it. We're we're completely hosed. But you, you have what you have in Europe, right? You've got the, yeah. the high income tax and the high VAT tax. Exactly, exactly. So I would I would look to to eliminate the first, but but I do think that it's better. And and he and here's the justification why. And, and maybe you can see this distinction without a difference, but I still see it. When I'm when, when you're taxing income, you're 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 taxing my ability to 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 reason, to think, to create, to to do something that is new. Uh, when we whether it's labor or whether it's knowledge, however you want to. Uh, produce that and therefore you're going to get less of it right you know we increase the tax on cigarettes so that fewer people will smoke or pay pay for them where you're going to get less of that in some way um and you know with an inheritance somebody somebody got that years ago right (laughs) so um i you know i I think that that really and, and then how do you justify this um okay we're going to tax you for an hour of your quote unquote labor but I'm not going to tax the other guy for an hour of sit of leisure of sitting on, on his leisure. butt, <laughs> right? So wait a minute. Yeah, so, no, I know. I, I and I and I totally get that. I mean, taxing consumption seems fair because not only are you decoupling it from the individual person and their labor, you're you know you're attaching it to a product, a car, or whatever. Um, but you know, and I agree with you also that what you you know if you tax something, you'll get less of it, right? That's a pretty good principle to live by. However, if you tax consumption, you'll get less of that. And since consumptions are standard of living, I'm not sure I want to tax that. I'd rather tax income, actually. If you're going to get less of that, well, then maybe people won't work as hard and they'll consume more and enjoy themselves more. No, see, I think if this we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to agree that one of us is wrong and just doesn't know it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't think it's a matter of being wrong or right here, though. I I, I really don't. I mean, I I think it's a matter of designing a tax policy that does the least amount of damage. Right. Uh, and, yeah, but there's also a moral moral component in there, and it, yes, maybe it does more. I, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'm not sure that it would do more damage to to tax income versus consumption. But what I don't want to, well, yes, and you would get less consumption. I agree with your premise there. However, I'm better with having less consumption than I am having a tax on creativity because if you it, because a tax on creativity would mean okay, the more the newer things I create, I'm going to do that less. Right. Well, I think what what we're both saying is, you know, you're going to have to keep the tax rate low no matter what you're doing. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, that that's a whole other issue because any type of tax reform, you know, is usually talked about in the frame of revenue neutrality. In other words, if we replace what we have, what's going to raise the same amount of revenue? Yeah, that's where you get and, the whole spending debate. So. Yeah, and that and that might be a fundamental problem to 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 accept that premise. I don't accept that premise, by the way, but that's how it's talked about. Right, right. That right. we've got to raise the same amount of revenue, and if we were gonna, and if you did accept that premise, then what I'm saying is a tax on consumption, like a national sales tax or a VAT tax, would have to be much higher to raise the same amount of revenue, and it wouldn't be as smoothly functioning as an income tax. 
Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I'll give you that. All right, well, number six on his list is that tax evasion is not a criminal act. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> this is great, Ed, because, and, and this is something where the lawyer in Charles Adams really comes out. It's another fascinating uh, aspect of his book, but he says tax evasion is the consequences is the consequence of excessive taxation. It's a positive offense because it's one manufactured by the state. So he doesn't believe it's worthy of being called a true crime. In other words, they, they, they create the, the temptation and then they, they criminalize, you know, the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, very interesting. I, I, and I, uh, I, I really see his point here, which makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, try saying that, though, to the IRS agents as they are taking you away. Oh, exactly. I mean, he doesn't even think one of his reforms is we should not have to sign tax returns under the penalty of perjury. And one of the things he points out is what's what's the gal's name? Leona Hemsley. Remember when she? Oh, got, yeah. You know, what did she say? Only the little people pay taxes or something. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they give her a couple years in jail? They did give her a couple of years okay, in jail. Well, let, me tell, yeah. let me tell you something very fascinating, and I'm not sure if this is in Adam's book or in another one of his books where I read mm-hmm. this, but Sophia Loren had approximately the same size tax issue, and you know what the Italian government did with Sophia Loren? They confined her to house arrest for like two months. Nah. <laughs> and Adams used that as a point of, look, you know, you rather do that than, than throw somebody in the, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> the prison. So, but he yeah, well, it's think- the only debtor's prison that exists, right? Is tax debt. It, it, it tax debt. Yeah, that's right. So he doesn't believe that tax evasion, not avoidance, which is legal, but evasion, he doesn't think it should be a criminal act. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's a, and he makes a very interesting legal case for that. So I, I think that, and so did the Enlightenment thinkers as well. Right, right. All right, what's next on the list, Ron? We want to get one more in before the break, at least. That liberty's most dangerous foe is arbitrary taxation. And mm-hmm. so David Hume talked about, you know, the most pernicious of all taxes are those that are arbitrary, right? And uh, there's basically three premises here that taxation must be with, with people's consent. It has to be apportioned among the people by a definite standard or rule, and it must be equal, counter to the inclination of everyone to push their taxes off on someone else. You know, that old saying, don't tax you, don't tax me, tax the guy behind the tree, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're always trying to push our taxes off to somebody else, Um is this a head tax? Is he? Is that what he's advocating for here? Just like, yeah, okay, you got to pay thousand dollars a year per tax per person. Done. Well, it, it, you could read it that way. I mean, a poll tax that you know, in terms of least distortive effect, would probably mm-hmm. just be making make everybody pay a certain amount every year, and that's it. And and don't base it on their consumption. Don't base it on their income. Just just make them pay a certain amount every year, and apportion it that way. Uh, of course, that would, I mean, that is just politically dead in the water, right? I mean, that would never happen. No. But but I think one of the other larger points in this arbitrary, that taxation shouldn't be arbitrary, is that, you know, it shouldn't be capricious. And if you look at the size of our tax laws, I, I, I believe now we're over 12 million words, maybe way, way more than that. It's it's way over 12 million. It was, it was around 10 million back when I originally wrote this course which is the current Internal Revenue Code and the regulations. And, and if you think about that, th- that's got to be arbitrary. And the way it's enforced has got to be arbitrary. 
and contradictory <laughs> and contradictory absolutely and and come down on some people harder than others even in the same in, in in relatively same situations i mean when you compare the gettysburg address you know it's 266 words or the declaration is 1337 words and here we have this 12 million 15 million word monstrosity called the irs code uh, it's it's kind of it, there's the definition of arbitrary taxation. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's why Jimmy Carter called our tax system a moral disgrace. He, he, I don't amen, think he, Jimmy. He, but yeah, he, he, I mean, he. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he was calling it immoral for the same reason you might. Or oh, I might, but but he, <laughs> I think it, that this was part of it. That it was just so cumbersome and so unwieldy that nobody could understand it, even experts who who do this for a living. Got it. Okay. So, and and of course, the other uh, common uh, tenant here from the Enlightenment thinkers was the common sense. I mean, they, they, they all the Enlightenment thinkers were supply siders, what we would call supply siders, because they understood, like we just said, Ed, that if you tax something, you get less of it, and if you subsidize something, you get more of it, and so taxes, whatever you tax, you're going to get less of, whether it's work, consumption, whatever. And they understood that really, really well. Yeah, they sure did. They sure did. All right, folks. Well, we need that. We're up against another break. Uh, this is just flying by again. Uh, this is great. But uh, we'd like to remind you that you can email Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com and check out the show notes at Verisage.com slash TSOE. And now we'd like to hear from Ed's employer, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V E R A S A G E. Now, back to the soul of enterprise. And as you heard on our commercials there, Ron and I have a book out, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy, available on Amazon.com. So if you just go to Amazon.com and look for 
the soul of enterprise, you should find it no problem. However, if you want, you can go to verisage.com slash, di- slash dialogue, um, and you will be able to get a co- that, that direct link. Um, number nine on the list of Charles Adams' 10 points on, on uh, taxation, the, the priceless legacy left to us by the Enlightenment, is the uh, four points made by Adam Smith of a bad taxation system. So let's quick run this through the current system, shall we, Ron? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Number one, a tax was bad that required a large bureaucracy for administration. <laughs> Check. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, good. Number one, a tax was bad that may obstruct the industry of the people and discourage them from applying to certain branches of business which might give maintenance and employment to the great multitudes. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Okay, labor, number two. get less of it. Yep. Yep, okay. Uh, number three, a tax, w- tax was bad that encouraged evasion. You know, he says the law. Yeah, and listen to what he said. The law. Are you going to admit to evading taxes, Ron? No, no, no. The law, contrary (laughs) to all the ordinary principles of justice, first creates the temptation and then punishes those who yield to it. Right. And again, this is Adam's point about that you shouldn't have to sign your tax return under perjury Mm. because it's a positive offense. Okay, so we're still going to check that as yes, although one of us will say, okay, good. Number four. A tax is bad that puts the people through, I love this, <laughs> odious examinations of the tax gatherers and exposes them to much unnecessary trouble, vexation, and oppression. <laughs> Dang, nobody writes like that anymore. Yeah, no, I know. It's beautiful. And and there was a, a, a type of audit that the IRS used to do back, this is uh, going back maybe a decade or so, called the TCMP audit, where it was a uh, randomly selected group. It was based on the same type of principles as like, you know, Gallup polls, right? Very you know random scientific distribution, representative of the country and different demographics. And it was called a TCMP audit, Taxpayer Compliance Measurement Program. And it was how the IRS gathered all their statistics on averages to, to do audits from there, right? They, yep, you know, okay, your medical it. expenses were way out of line. Well, that's where they got the averages from these audits. Well, these audits looked at everything, Ed, every single line item. Oh, you got kids, Ed? Prove it. Where are their birth certificates? You know, oh, man. You, you had to justify every line. One wag said a TCMP audit was like an autopsy without the benefit of dying. <laughs> I was actually going to say you could hear the surgical glove snap. But yeah. <laughs> so you know. I, I think uh, we're, we're, we're checking off here all of uh, Adam Smith's four marks of a bad tax system. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we have that right. more, I think. All right. Well, let's move on to number 10 and let's talk about the what what now this is Lord. Say this for me. Cams. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's Cams. Cams. Lord Henry Cams. Home Cams. Yep. OK. And this is his his six six rules for a good system. Right. Yes. Good. So number one, when the opportunity for evasion exists, taxes must be moderate. It is unjust for a legislature to first tempt then to punish for yielding to temptation. In other words, OK, so the reverse of what Smith was talking about. Absolutely. Number two, taxes that are expensive to to levy should be avoided. And I guess this is your point on the consumption tax, which I admit is probably more expensive to to, to, to try yeah, to, to, yeah, to collect. Yeah, I'll give you a real great example of this one, the taxes are expensive to levy, is the estate tax. 
you know, the IRS spends an enormous amount of money enforcing and auditing estate tax returns because all, almost all estate tax returns past a certain size get audited. And if you look at the dollar spent compared to the dollars raised, it's, uh, it's unbelievable the un- imbalance here. I mean, the estate tax raises peanuts. It really does because it's so easy to avoid. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap to avoid. Right. But people with money find it easy because they just hire a bunch of really smart lawyers and accountants and they can avoid it pretty easily. Right. Uh, and, and that would be an example of a tax that's way too expensive to levy. Got it. Okay. Number th- number three, arbitrary taxes are disgustful to all. I like that. The amount paid is determined by the by vague and conjectured opinions of others. Well, yeah. I think twelve million pages would qualify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, twelve million words would definitely qualify for that. And the other thing about the tax system is used for social engineering, you know, that's the whole you know, you've got to eat your vegetables and clean your room to get certain tax credits. You have and- to have medical insurance. Yeah, and and uh, that that's that is kind of disgustful, you know, past a certain point. Right. All right. Number four on his list is to remedy the uh, inequity of riches. Right. The poor should be relieved of any significant tax burdens. Right. right. Which we've done a fairly decent job of that with the earned income tax credit and all of that. We have taken uh, a lot of people off the rolls. What is it? The bottom fifty percent in this country pay something like two percent of the tax revenue. Yes, and to to be honest, you know, I I I do think that taxation is theft. But having to go into the idea that yes, we do have to have it, I I personally think that the earned income credit, if anything, should just be expanded, and then we can just shut up about everything else, right? <laughs> well, my my only my only thought on that is there's a lot of fraud in the earned income tax credit and a lot of abuse of it, and maybe there's better ways to administer it than through our tax system but but that's another issue but yeah yeah we can get that to get get to, to that another day all right number number five taxes that sap the strength of a nation should be avoided such taxes contradict the very nature of government which is to protect and not oppress yeah that's a really good point <laughs> yeah and then number six and the last one taxes that require an oath are to be avoided well, okay. Um, um, uh, do we do we now have an oath? Oh, I think we do have an oath. Do we have to have yeah. like, is, is that what he means? The, yes. the, the swearing that you yeah. that are under penalty of perjury. All right. Yep. Yep. And again, that's something that Adams talks a lot about in the book, and he really does believe that uh, you know uh, that needs to go away. And and you know you look at these 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 uh, ten points from the Enlightenment thinkers that we just went through, and it's a really interesting question that Adams poses and leaves us with: Have have we squandered our inheritance? Mm. I mean, here we have all this wisdom from these guys who really did know their history. They knew human nature. They knew human behavior. And you look at some of the um, consequences of our tax system and some of the ways it's designed, and it violates a lot of these tenets. And it's like, well, what are we doing? I mean, shouldn't we have a tax system that looks like it was designed on purpose rather than just kind of grew into this, you know, hydra monster that we have now? You know, m- more wisdom from dead guys that died 300 years ago, Ron. So, you know, you can't run a modern nation that way. <laughs> That's the argument. I, I know. I, 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 I think one thing we could probably get a lot of people to agree on is the tax system should follow the Hippocratic Oath, right? First, it should do no harm. And yet, when you look at what we do have, it seems like we have a lot of, you know, we've talked about this concept of an iatrogenic illness, 
right? The idea that the doctor causes further diseases or issues by trying to cure you. And I think that's kind of what our tax system is. Every time we try and reform it, simplify it, all we do is make it more complicated and bring up all these other unintended consequences and cause more problems elsewhere. Well, this gets to the, you know, by whose standard, right? You know, by, by whose standard is it causing more harm? That's that's really what it comes down to. Right. I, you know, and I guess the other thing that you, when you study this issue as, as long as I have and really have tried to think about it as best I can, you just realize that the, no tax system is perfect. I, I don't no. care what type of thing you're going to talk about doing. It, it, there's going to be issues with it. it. It's just not perfect. But I think, Ed, just like a lot of other things that we talk about, Instead of comparing it to some utopia, you got to compare it to what you have now. And I think any type of simplification would be better than what we have now. What we have now is just obscene. I, I think we do a, 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 ten, a 10% consumption tax, and I'm going to quote you know, the great Ray Parker, if 10% is good enough for Jesus <laughs> – it ought to be enough for Uncle Sam. <laughs> and uh, yeah, one idea that I really like is your Congress should have a, your individual congressperson should have a ratio based upon how much they vote for revenue and divide it by how much they vote for spending. And so if that ratio was over one, that means obviously they're voting for more spending than, than revenue. And, um, and you should just multiply that ratio times your total tax on your personal tax form. And I think that might change people's awareness of what their local congressman <laughs> is voting for. But <laughs> and we won't have a 95% return rate? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> but I think that's a pipe dream. But uh, anyway, this was great. Uh, in celebration of Tax Day, we thought it'd be fun, folks, to bring you a little bit more of a historical perspective on taxation. But, uh, Ed, what do we have lined up for next week? Well, next week we're we're going into my wheelhouse. This was kind of your wheelhouse, Ron. Next week we're going into my wheelhouse on we're all consultants now. We're going to talk about the theory and practice of being a consultant. Oh, fantastic. Well, I look forward to that, and I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week, 4 p.m. Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, for We're All Consultants Now. And in the meantime, folks, check out our show at verisage.com slash TSOE for more information, and we'll have show notes up there. And uh, we hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next Friday. 